Hi, I'm Dr. Greg Goins from the Reimagined Schools podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Donna Rhodes, and she's talking with me today about her memoir, How the Woman at the Well Became the Well Woman. This is a story of hope, perseverance, and finding love. Powerful. So much to think about. Thanks for listening. And by the way, it would be so cool if you go to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews and uh, left a review. Could you do that for me? That would be so cool. You're awesome. Enjoy the show. Boone Titanium Rings, found on the web at boonrings.com, is an affiliate partner of Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12. And I'm also a customer. I have this really cool ring that's got these carved pistons and and stars in it. I love it. They make rings of titanium that are carved, laser-cut, and engraved, as well as they have inlays of many types of materials like meteorite, acrylic, wood, carbon fiber, and so many other types. They also have special collections that are incredible designs. One of the top sellers are the Gamer Rings, the Stealth Series, and the Black Zirconium. As a note, they also make earrings, pendants, cufflinks, and for you musicians, they make cool trumpet mouthpieces. Love it. Go to boonrings.com and at checkout, use my code, capital T, capital L, capital L, capital K, number 12, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. So go check them out. I love my ring, and I know that you will love yours. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. By the age of 28, Donna Rhodes was divorced three times and raising four kids in poverty. A high school dropout with a dark past and a cloudy future, she found her way through a life of suffering and challenges. This memoir is a story of an extraordinary woman, one who battled so many setbacks, from growing up in an abusive foster care household to surviving cancer, and from suffering a series of abusive relationships to being under the control of a cult. It is the poignant life story of a woman's desperate journey to find love. Inspired by the biblical account of the woman at the well, this book is a remarkable testament to God's faithfulness and the power of His redemption. For those who think their lives will never change and those who are afraid to hope again, This moving testimony is transformative. It's a story of hope and perseverance. Donna Rhodes is a trained speaker, published author, and a certified life coach and personality trainer. She has also written for newspapers, magazines, websites, and for story compilation books. Today we are focused on her memoir, How the Woman at the Well Became the Well Woman. Donna has been happily married for the past 36 years to Denver. Together they have eight children, 14 grandchildren, and six great-grandchildren. Her passion is sharing hope for the hopeless, even if they have to borrow hope from her story until they find their own. Her happy places are her family, traveling, gourmet cooking, and playing with her dog, Penny. She resides in Eastleigh, South Carolina. For more information, kindly consult onewellwoman.com. Donna, it's awesome to have you on my show today. Thanks for joining me, and say hi to everyone. Hi, everyone. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I'm so glad you're here, and... uh, and I've read your book, excellent book. I hate the fact that it's, you know, you've experienced all this stuff to get to where we are, but uh, you've got a great message. And uh, what I got to ask you to start with is what inspired you to write your book, How the Woman at the Well Became the Well Woman? 
Well, what inspired me was I wanted to help other people. Um, I'm a big sharer by nature. Um, if I find something that works really well, um, even if it's just a simple potato peeler, if it's the best one that I ever found, then you might get it for Christmas. And so when I find something that um, is transformative, that adds value, then it's just in me to share. And so writing was sharing. So I did something that I love to do. Gotcha. You know, and just a note, I mean, your, your book is going to um, start off very powerfully as you talk about you as a little child. Um, you know, one of the things that I got to say is that as you're writing this, I mean, was that kind of a, did it help you kind of just kind of get it out of your system? Well, I'm an old lady now, so I've had a lot, a lot of time to get it out of my system um, and understand it and go over it and uh, kind of know where it fit in my life. Gotcha. You know, and your book starts with you retelling the day that you and your siblings were sent into foster care. Um, could you share a little about you at that age and the feelings that you had? I mean, when, I mean, you have a picture of you in there that, uh, it's, it's, you know, just helps you focus on who you were. So can you tell us about that? Sure. Um, it was very traumatic. Um, I had heard my mother talking to someone saying that, uh, they were coming to take the kids away and I didn't know what that meant, but I heard her crying and I'd never heard her cry. And so I knew something was going to happen. And so the day that it did, um, the state had court papers to take custody of us. And there was um, loud screaming and yelling. And my mother was hysterical and there were 10 of us. And so the state workers were trying to round us all up and get us into their cars and take us away. And I just remembered being terrified and screaming for my mother to stop them and to help us. And uh, I didn't have a clue what was happening to us other than we were just being taken out by these strange people and put into cars and being driven away. So I was terrified. Um, my little sister came with me. So a lot of us went two by two and she was only three. And so she was terrified as well. And so the two of us just screaming and crying. And the first thing I did when they put me in the car was open the door and run out the other side because you're not taking me anywhere. This is where I belong. And so they found me and put me back in the car and drove me to an orphanage. As a note, I got to say that, uh, I mean, your, your opening of your book is very, very much a page turner because you want to know what happens next <laughs> mm. and, and, uh, and how you deal with what happens next and, and all of that. Uh, you know, and eventually, you know, you get older and you, you come out of this, what's going on in those ages. Do you have any thoughts about how your childhood experiences shaped the way that you approached life and made some of the choices that you made as a young adult? Oh, definitely. I never felt like I belonged anywhere. My foster parents never had children. The ones that I stayed with the longest, which was eight years, they'd never had children. And so they didn't know. 
about having kids. And the only thing they knew is the state worker called and said there was an emergency. There were two girls that needed immediate care. Were they open to taking them? And they said, yes, that was as much as they knew about us. So it was a time when you really didn't talk about a lot of things that had happened in my family. And my mother was an alcoholic and my father left the family very young when I was very young. And so there was a lot of abuse going on, a lot of neglect. And I went from there, my foster home was like middle America and I had never seen a house. I had never seen, you know, we didn't own a car or television, anything like that. It was just bare minimum. Um, We slept in the attic because we lived in a one bedroom and we all just slept on mattresses in the attic. And so there was this big gap between where I was from and where I was put. And there wasn't any conversation about what was going on. And I think my foster parents didn't know what to do or what to say. And so for me, it was like adjust, just here's somebody that wants to help you accept the help and this is a better life and get over it. But I couldn't because I wanted to go home. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be in an orphanage. I didn't want to be with foster parents. I wanted my family. I wanted to go home. So I I was never content. I couldn't receive what anybody was trying to give because I didn't want to be there. Gotcha. You know, and it, you know, one of the things that uh, becomes very apparent through your through your memoir is that uh, um, for a big part of your life, it appears that you struggled with feeling unloved. Mm-hmm. Um, could you talk about that? Because you've kind of started going there. Yeah. Um, so I remember asking my foster mother why I couldn't go home, and she said, "Because your mother is not married, but she's." Uh, living with a man or men, and that's against the law, that you can't do that. And of course, I'm talking about in the 50s and, and early 60s when it there were some laws <laughs> about that. And, uh, and she said, you know, if she were to get married, then you, you could go home or you wouldn't have been taken away. And so I felt like if my mother really had loved me, she would have gotten married, um, I felt like just such a, where is everybody? Like, why is anybody coming to see me? Um, I didn't have any feeling of being valued. Like my foster parents didn't know what to do with me. I didn't know what was happening to me at that age. And so it just left me with this big void. Gotcha. The, you know, uh, um, it just, I, I just can't imagine. I, like I said, as you're reading the, your story and you see this uh, all un, unrolling, you know, unfolding, you know, as you're reading, one of the things that uh, I got to ask you now is who should read your book? I mean, who do you think should read How the Woman at the Well Became the Well Woman? Who, who are you writing for? I I was writing to give hope to people that have been in difficult situations. Um, 
yeah, I've been through divorce and I've been through being a single mom. I've been through poverty. Um, those kind of things, unless you've been there, it's hard to relate. And I've been there and I wanted to be able to write, to give people hope that no matter, don't give up, you know, no matter how bad it gets, um, not to, not to give up because there's healing and, um, but it's a hard journey. And I think that sharing that they say when a heart's, when it's from the heart, it speaks to a heart. And that's what I was trying to do is to, to not just share the mistakes, but to also share the victories so that, that my reader could see what can happen. Gotcha. And you know, one of the things that uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, comes through loud and clear is that over time, you know, your faith is kind of what has helped you get through a lot of this. Is that correct? Yes, definitely. So can you kind of talk a little bit about, I mean, cause I, you know, one of the things is that you can't, I mean, if someone knows the story, they know, they kind of get a idea of where your title came from, you know, how right. the woman at the well. So can you talk a little bit about, about that and your faith and how that helps you? Because we're getting ready to talk about hope. And yes. can, can you just go into that just a little bit? Sure. So when I read the story of the woman at the well, I was blown away. I didn't know that that story was in the Bible. A woman married five times. I mean, I had been married three and I thought I, I didn't know anybody else that had been married that many times. So five times. And then the man that she was living with was not her husband. And so here we have five husbands plus a man that she's living with. And she's a lonely woman. She's walking to the well by herself. Culturally, that wouldn't happen. The women got together in the morning and had their, you know, at the streams and at the water and got what they needed for the day. And that's kind of when the gossip happened and the sharing and everything. And so here she was all by herself in the heat of the day. I felt her loneliness. I felt her um, just heaviness as I was reading the story. So I related, it was like, I could really feel what she was feeling. And then when she gets to the well, there's a man there already. And he starts a conversation with her and it's a conversation. It's the longest recorded conversation in the entire Bible between Jesus and anybody. And so he's, but what he's trying to do is pull her out so that she can see what the situation that she had gone through, she was looking for love and all the wrong faces and all the wrong places. And of course, that's exactly what I had experienced. And so he draws her out and shows her that that's not what it's about. Those are temporary. Those are things that aren't going to last forever. And then he says, you know, I am the living water. I'm the one that will satisfy you. I'm the one, you know, and, and I am the living water. And he's saying to her, it's me. It's not all of this other stuff that you're seeking. And once you have me, then this is, this is the need of the human heart. 
And, and it just resonated with me so much. He showed her such love and such patience. And then she says, she's so excited that he has offered her this and she knows this is true. It just resonates. And she's so excited. She runs to town and she tells everybody. Now she was an outcast. So she had this confidence about her that she tells everybody that this man told me everything about me and offered me love. And it so overwhelmed her that they all came to see who this guy was. And so that's what I wanted to know. Who is this guy that changed her life like this? And as I got to know him, he did the same thing for me. And that was a lot of the inspiration for the book as well. It's like, I couldn't help it. She couldn't help going to town and I couldn't help picking up my pen. That's excellent. Uh, You know, one of the things that, uh, you talk about is is the idea of hope, and you you actually start talking about some of that. Uh, you say that some people are afraid to hope again, who think their lives will not change for the better. Why do you think that? Well, hope isn't something that it sells. Bad news sells. You know, hope, positive stories of uh, overcoming—they're rare. you're you're not hearing a lot of that. And that's where encouragement comes from, from hearing other people's stories and reading about and listening and just knowing that it's possible. And so hope to know that somebody has overcome this amount, that if I can overcome that amount and that's extreme, then you can do it too. That, that, that is excellent. I, you know, one of the things that I, I want to make sure that we talk about is it seems you were abused or mistreated by those closest to you for a huge chunk of your life. How did you finally break free from the people and things that controlled you? Oh, I think I had to come to a place of being willing to risk. Willing to risk. So... I could see the effect that it was having on me and I could see the effect that it was having on my children and being in those difficult situations and having that very unstable life. And so having that desire, I think from a very early age to not want anybody else to hurt the way that I had hurt and to feel that abandonment and that uh, aloneness. And I could see my life was unfolding in a way I didn't want it to. And so it was learning how to risk and stepping outside of my comfort zone and learning boundaries and learning how to change my thoughts and learning how to just stop reacting just to my feelings and, and, and starting to understand kind of how life is supposed to work. Um, and, and then getting to work and putting those principles into my life. Gotcha. I mean, you have, you have a, a long, uh, long road, that eventually, uh, I guess, some light appears at the end. And 
you know, it, you know, the audience hears that I, you know, I read, you know, you eventually find that love and you have, uh, you've been married for a while and, and, uh, um, had some nice adventures together and children and grandchildren and great grandchildren. And, uh, but the way your story starts off, I didn't think you're going to get to that point. Right. Yes. Yeah. I got to ask you this because one of the cool things is that, I mean, cause there's a lot of cool things that as you're coming out of um, this, this past life that you're in and so forth in this world. Um, one of the things you do is you, you get your GED at age 64. I mean, how did you make that happen? I mean, what, what made you go, I need to do this. <laughs> I'd always had some shame associated with dropping out of school after the 10th grade. And I remember filling out job applications and stuff and you know, it just when they asked that question, it was like, oh, just just a wait. And so when I had my first great grandchild, I started to write a legacy letter. And this is before my book. Um, and I started to write about my education and why I quit, because there was a, a good reason, um, I thought at the time, and I couldn't write it. It just, I couldn't write it. And I put my pen down and I said to my husband, you know, I can't leave a legacy of quitter. I just can't. And he said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to go graduate. <laughs> and he said, oh, okay. And so I went down to adult ed and signed up and I took a um, evaluation test and I needed some sharpening in my math skills, which I had needed when I was in school even. And so I took a few months and um, went every day and started my math venture. And uh, six months later, I was able to take my test and, and score pretty good. And then um, I was asked to be the speaker at the uh, graduation as to why I was doing this at this age. And to say that there are things, there are a couple things that can never be taken away from me. And one is my faith and one is my education. I will never again be known as a quitter. <laughs> that is awesome because you're, <laughs> you are so right. I mean, that's, you know, it, it, it can't be taken away because it, it says you, you went back and you did it and you I took care it. of it. Yep. <laughs> that is so cool. I, it, what an inspiration because so many people think that, you know, it's my time's passed now and I'm, and they always kind of think about that and you prove, nope, <laughs> I'm going to do this. Nope. <laughs> I like that. That's awesome. I, you know, Donna, we're getting, we're getting close to finishing up and I gotta, I gotta ask you this, you know, you're, you're a speaker and you know, if you had a chance to be a keynote speaker at a conference concerning hope and breaking free and finding love, what life advice would you want to make sure that the audience remembered from your talk? The power of unconditional love and the power that's behind knowing your identity, knowing who you are and that you belong. That's cool. Mm. That's, that's very powerful. I mean, I think a lot of people think they don't. Yes. And uh, need that guidance. So, Excellent. I, you know, Donna, before we close, I mean, today, 
Uh, we're talking about how the woman at the well became the well woman, which is your book. Um, could you let everyone know where they could connect and, and learn more and possibly buy your book? Sure. Uh, I'm on Amazon and it's both in paper and in electronic. And I have a website, which is onewellwoman.com and it's O-N-E, onewellwoman.com. And there I have a uh, free uh, first chapter and I tell you a little about myself and there's a little video that you can watch. And um, yeah, I'd love for you to connect with me as well. Very cool. And I will have that information in the show notes. So it's easy for people to find that and, uh, and hopefully reach out to you and, uh, and right. connect and, uh, and uh, take a look at your book. So good stuff. I, um, Don, I got two more questions I want to ask you and uh, they're questions that I just like to ask my guests. And the first one goes like this. And you've kind of almost skipped right to it. <laughs> it was something you said a minute ago. Um, if you have so much going on that you become overwhelmed, how do you overcome the desire to quit? For me, it's been perseverance. It's been that the reality of knowing that things happen in life, a lot of things unexpected things we don't ask for, um, but stuff happens in life. And I think understanding that we're going to face things and then having the perseverance to go through. So I think the going through is the, is the big deal. That's the thing that if you stop before you go through, you're not going to get the desired result. The going through it is the part we don't want. We want to skip from the beginning to the end. That's excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing those thoughts. And, and last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? And what do you think about that? Wow. There is someone, um, Florence Littower, much later in my life when I was trying to learn to speak and write and she became my mentor and she was just a, a wonderful lady. She's passed now. She was in her nineties. Uh, but when I met her, she was in her sixties and she was the first person that just took me aside and said, you have a story that needs to get out and I'm going to help you learn to speak it well, and I'm going to help you learn to write it because it's a, a, it's a, a lesson and a story that this world needs. And so I thank, I thanked her for her guidance. I thanked her that she gave me a compass, true North, you know, a place that I didn't know how to get to. Um, and for sharing her experiences and giving me so much a part of her life and she was able to be so generous. It takes a lot. As she'd written 40 books, I, I wrote one. And to me, writing is a really generous thing because it takes a lot of emotion, a lot of thinking, a lot of your time, a lot of money. It takes a lot of stuff. And that uh, somebody who cares enough about other people to invest like that and that she did it for me, it, it, thank you just would never be enough. She changed my life. 
That's incredible. Thank you so much for telling us this, telling us about her, and uh, and I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, you know, Donna, it was awesome talking with you today. Thanks for sharing your memoir, how the woman at the well became the well woman. Powerful and inspiring story. I'm wishing you the very best in all you do. Thank you so much. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.